to J.J. Thompson and uh, his uh, cathode ray tube that proved that there was an object that was smaller than an atom. Uh, and it was negatively charged, and it ended up being uh, an electron. And that's essentially where we got to, uh, was suggesting that this is a, uh, a blueberry muffin, a chocolate chip cookie, if you will. Um, speaking of chocolate chip cookies, I had, uh, I brought two for my lunch. And why did I bring two? Because they were the last two in the, the cookie tin. And I'm not feeling bad about it because my wife and I made chocolate chip cookies on the long weekend, or well, on this past weekend. Um, I call the PD day the long weekend, but anyways. Um, and have you ever had this where it's like, oh, there's lots. And you think, oh, they're so good. I want to make them last like the next two weeks. And what should happen? Well, I go to grab a cookie last night, and I notice that there are four cookies left. It's like I couldn't hardly put them all into the cookie tin on Sunday night, and yet there's four left. Now, I have a daughter, I have two daughters um, that live with me. Uh, one is a nurse. And so she works at Royal Victoria Hospital. And uh, she's right now, I understand, she's working 12-hour shifts. Uh, she gets up at 5 o'clock in the morning, uh, gets ready, leaves the house in Newmarket at uh, 6 o'clock, um, drives up to Barrie to Royal Victoria Hospital, and um, gets there for quarter to 7 gets on the floor, does her 12-hour shift, comes home at eight, for 8 o'clock, and basically eats dinner and goes to bed because she's got to wake up at 5 o'clock in the morning the next morning. And so, and she's doing it Monday night, Tuesday night, and um, today as well. She's right there working still. And I think of her all the time about waking up at 5 o'clock in the morning, and she's still working. Um, so, uh, you know, if she needs a cookie, take a cookie, right? Um, because that's, that's what I'd like to do. Um, however, my other daughter, <laughs> she works at Upper Canada Mall. She would take the whole tin if she was allowed to, and give them out to people that pass by, because she has a heart of gold, but that's just the way she does. Like, she just gives and gives and gives. Um, and, uh, you know, she would be the one that would walk up to strangers and say, oh my gosh, I really love what you're wearing. Um, awkward. <laughs> and, that's just her personality, and you know what? You, you don't pick your children, they're given to you, and so you just, you learn to, to love each one of them with as much as they are all different. 
and I have three children. Uh, my my son is in he's 24, and he um, he's in Ottawa, working for Apple. Um, so, anyways, I just wanted I want to share that sort of stuff with you, uh, not because it's funny and it's funny a bit, but um, because I want to you to get to know me. I will get to know you better and a little bit better as well. And I like chocolate chip cookies. Um, but if the truth be known, I'm just planting a seed out there. No, no, no ulterior motive. I do like Tim Hortons. Um, <laughs> steep tea, half milk, half sugar. That's, that's my go-to. Um, not every day, but in a minimum for a team, which is usually five out of seven days, um, <laughs> I usually have that. So, and if you work at Tim Hortons, I probably know you. <laughs> and have gone through a drive through or ordered the tea um, from the kiosk. Um, okay. So let's skip over. Uh, Discovery of a proton, positives, uh, discovery of a neutron. Very difficult to, to discover something that is not charged. Um, but Chadwick did it. Um, I'd like to go right into, and what I have on the agenda for today is effect uh, simulations of Rutherford's model and Bohr's model. Uh, Rutherford's model uh, in detail, Bohr's model in detail. And the idea that, you know, if an atom is a positive dough with little negative sprinkles of chocolate chips all throughout them, I should have brought the chocolate chip cookie to show you how wonderful they are. They taste just as good. Um, then we're looking at something like this. Oh, not there. So you're looking at one atom. The red there is all the positive proton jelly-like stuff that they believed it was. All these little guys are little tiny negative um, electrons. And that's, that atom is in this sheet of gold foil. And the alpha particles are just being shone through. And you can see that all of them, because all the negatives are separated and spread out, and all the positives are kind of mixed in as well with the negatives, that all these alpha particles uh, that are positive just go straight through and are not changed in whatever direction that they are uh, proceeding through that atom. And so, um, this was the thought that although we can't see through this gold foil, the thought is that there's lots of empty spaces. Now, I had a little bit of difficulty trying to explain that to um, my, my previous class. So I'm going to give it another try, and maybe I'll be a little bit more succinct here. Why is a piece of gold foil that we, if you've ever seen gold leaf, 
and they've tried to put a, a gold on a statue that isn't really gold, but they they put it on with a paintbrush and it's so like paper thin, just wisping in the air. You know what I'm talking about? Gold leaf, it's just so thin, ultra thin. But if you hold that up above, uh, in front of your eyes, it's you can't see through it, can you? Right? As thin as it is, and it's really only about 200 atoms thick, there's, you can't see through it. And you might ask yourself, how can you say that there is mostly empty space between the atoms if you can't see through it? If there's mostly empty space, wouldn't you be able to see through it? Our eyes are not, can't focus finely enough to separate the, and see the distance between an atom. It's almost like they are all side by side, crushed side by side, and you can't see, you, you can't see through it. So the analogy that kind of stuck with the other class, and maybe I'll try that again, um, was if you could shrink yourself down to the size of an atom, there's an atom right there. Where is the next atom? It's two football fields in that direction, or that direction, or that direction, or down there, or in front, or behind, or whatever, right? Whatever the arrangement of the atoms is. The point is, if you're the size of an atom and you look around at other things that are just as small, they seem to be pretty far away. Does that make sense? I'll give you another, re I'll give you another analogy. How many people have seen the movie Honey, I Shrunk the Kids? Okay? And it, the premise is that, you know, Kids get shot with a ray that shrinks them down, and they find themselves at the other side of the back side of their backyard. And what normally would be one, two, three, four, five steps to get back into the house to try and get up into the up into the room to get reshot with the ray and become large again becomes a whole movie. Why? Because now they are this big. And going from here to the back door of their house is now not five steps. It's a voyage. They come upon worms that are like skyscrapers. So what you have to understand is when we talk about an atom, and we say that there's mostly distance, a lot of empty space between atoms, and you and I look at it and say, yeah, right, that can't be, because there's the atom, and I can't see through it, but if you could be that size. I'll give you another example. Um, I know newspapers are becoming, and magazines are becoming kind of a past thing, 
right? A lot of people, including yourselves, um, read online, right? They do not sit down to a book. They do not sit down and read the newspaper. They do not sit down and, um, you know, read a magazine or whatever, right? But if you were to take any one of those letters or characters on a page in print, they appear to be 100% ink. So let's say I'm drawing an L and I go like this. Is it an outline that is rectangular like this, all filled whole 100% with ink? I will tell you, it is not. In fact, what it is, is it's dots. But it's dots of ink that are so close together that as we look at it, appears to be one blob of blackness that gives you the letter L. Okay? So they're so small, so they're so small that you don't, you can't see the distance between them. Why do they do this? Because it saves on ink. Because they can, they know that, you know, human beings that are this small are not going to re be reading that. Right? Yes. Uh, say, isn't, isn't it more than 0.01% ink though? Because like an atom is supposed to be 99.9% of these space. Thompson or Rutherford? Rutherford. Uh -huh. But this is, that was, this is Rutherford's experiment based off of Thompson's model. Yeah, the cookie. Right? But this is what he found. And I know you can't see it. I'm going to try and turn off all the lights. I don't know why they, they decided to go with magenta, dark magenta, but these are all those lights that are coming up. There is your little tiny nucleus. So what happens is they felt that based off of the chocolate chip cookie, it was going to go straight through. But you can see that some of them come close and some of them actually hit. Whoa, there was one. It hit the nucleus and the nucleus was so positive, remember these are alpha particles. Alpha particles are positive helium nuclei. I'll, I'll write that down when we get to the note. But essentially what happens is they hit the nucleus and they bounce back. What are the chances of hitting a nucleus? You're exactly right. If the nucleus represents such a small, small, fraction of all the space that's in this gold foil, what are the chances of hitting it? Not very high. But um, I have a video um, that I think is in the classroom that shows a mock-up of this. And they count how many rays they send out and how many actually hit the nucleus. And it was like, uh, 11 hit the nucleus, 
out of two or three million of them that were sent out. I suspect that's way high, way too high. I suspect that it, it could be one in a billion chance of hitting a nucleus with all that open space, empty space. But my point is, you see a deflection. When the positive rays come close to the positive nucleus, they repel away, unlike what they would have done if it was just all mixed with a positive and negative chocolate chip cookie. So let's take down some of our notes here. So here's what we see. We see the alpha particles, which is the cloud of electrons. So along comes Bohr. And Bohr is a student. Uh, Rutherford's a professor at, uh, I can't remember which university, whether it was Manchester or a, a different one. You know, but anyways, he's, he is a professor. And his student, he takes on a student. And a student's name is Niels Bohr. He's a brilliant student. And Niels uh, takes on an investigation and does an experiment where he takes hydrogen, the simplest of atoms, one proton as its nucleus and one electron in all of the electrons that are around the nucleus. So it's one proton, one electron. So simplest atom. And he puts electricity through it and looks at it through a prism. Because he wants to know what kind of wavelengths of light are given off. If you look at white light, the sun, through a prism, what do you see? Take white light and separate it into all of its colors, what do you see? Like a rainbow? A rainbow, right? Roy G. Biff. What he wanted to do is he also wanted to take the hydrogen, excite it with electricity, and see if he saw Roy G. Biff. Or what does he see? Here's the thought. He believes that all these electrons are going to give off different colors because of the electricity that is exciting the uh, electrons. Let me uh, give you a little analogy. Let's say that this is the nucleus of the atom, the desk. And let's say that we're all scattered electrons around that nucleus. I can be here. I can be here, I can be over here, I can be over there, I can be wherever I want, right? Because it's Rutherford's model was that there's a nucleus and all the electrons are kind of scattered around the nucleus, all right? I want you to think, if I get excited, if I'm a hydrogen electron and I get hit with electricity, a bolt of electricity, 
a quanta of energy. And I get excited. Do I move? I'm negative. The nucleus is positive. Do I move with that extra electricity closer to the nucleus or further away from the nucleus? What do you think? Why do you say that? You were correct. does. Um, why, I guess? Think about this. If this is my natural location, my ground state, this is where I like to hang, and I've got a bungee cord, I'm naturally, my tendency is to want to go towards and be drawn towards the nucleus. Give me more energy, and I'm going to stretch that, that bungee out here, right? However, can I remain out here indefinitely? No. At some point, I'm going to have to give up some of the energy that I gained. And guess what? That's exactly what the electron does, is it gives off a little bit of energy in the form of a wavelength of light and then returns back to where its ground state was. So we have to revisit our, our sort of grade 10 thoughts about electromagnetic spectrum. Do you remember the electromagnetic spectrum? Yes. Yeah, I do remember. Very uh, good. Yeah, I just but you have a different question. Yeah, I had a question. I'm going to answer it. Would you tell me? Oh, yeah. So this is how Bohr discovered the orbits, right? Correct. Oh. I'm getting there. So over here, I have the lowest wavelengths. The, the longest wavelengths, the lowest energy, radio waves. On that side of the classroom, I have the highest energy electromagnetic spectrum, light waves, that are gamma rays. Remember the range? Red, sorry, radio, uh, radio waves all the way to gamma. If you go right in the middle, somewhere in the middle I've got visible light. Within the visible light spectrum right here, on this side I've got ultraviolet, which can give you cancer and a sunburn, so a little higher energy than any of the light that we can see. Can't see UV light. And on this side, we've got just a little lower, and we've got infrared, which, you know, remote controls turn on and off devices. You could put your hand there and shine it and block the rays and the projector won't turn on. And you're not going to get burnt by the rays, pointing the rays of an infrared device at your hand. Even at your eye, it's not going to hurt you. But within 
the visible spectrum, we've got red on the low side and violet on the high side. I always remember that because violet is just under ultraviolet. So ultraviolet, sunburned. Violet, high energy. Infrared, infrared rays. Don't hurt anybody. Red, just a little higher than infrared. So my question and reasoning by giving you all the colors of the visible spectrum from red all the way up to violet is this. According to, and there's going to be a question coming up, according to um, Rutherford, if an electron can be located anywhere it would like to, um, uh, away from a distance away from the nucleus, if I get excited and I move up here and then I go, fall back, I'm going to give off probably red. If I get excited a lot and I jump all the way up here and then I fall back to where I was, I'm probably going to be more towards the green, um, blue, or violet right? Because it was a lot of energy that I had to give off. My question to you is, and you can talk with your partner about this, is do you think Rutherford's model would lead to a certain number of different colors or an infinite number of colors that possibly could be created by different quantities of energy hitting that electron. Do you think it's an infinite number, or do you think there is a certain number of, of uh, light rays with, with certain wavelengths that could be given off? Talk to your partner for 15, 20 seconds. just jumped up, fell down, it's going to fall down to here, and now it's waiting to get hit by another photon of light. Probably that yellow will do it. Yep, there it goes. It's up here. Now it fell down to here. Now it fell down to there. And now it's probably going to be there, waiting for excited excitement again. Every time it falls, it gets measured here. There's the violet color, big fall. There's the blue, a less of a big fall. There's the green or the teal color, which is less. And then there's the red, which is a very small fall. 
there's not an infinite number of, there's not a rainbow that goes across here. Because if this is what you got, look time and time and time over again, you would look at this and say, there's no way that the electrons can be arranged anywhere out there. They must be located in orbits. So here's the nucleus. There's the first orbit. There's the second. There's the third orbit. I cannot accept any photon of light that gets me excited in between. I can't jump. I can only be located on in an energy level. So therefore, I can, I can only exist in a certain energy level or orbit. And thus, Bohr comes into play to say, you know what? I think it's obvious. There must be energy levels around the nucleus. And those electrons can be occupied in those orbitals, those orbits, but nowhere else. I can only accept a quantity of energy that will get me up to the next orbit. Because if I sit here, then I'm just being a creeper to these girls. I must be located in a certain energy level. And that's what Bohr said. And imagine Bohr, his student, telling your teacher, uh, I think you're wrong. Uh, yeah, you know your, um, your model of the atom with a nucleus with all the electrons scattered? You're wrong. They're actually located and organized in orbits and energy levels around the nucleus. How do I know this? Because if I excite them, not all the colors of the rainbow can be, can be um, viewed. Only certain wavelengths of light that are equivalent, equivalent to this height and back, or that height and fall back. And if I fall from the third down to the one, then I might have the teal. If I only fall from here down, I give off the red. If I go one beyond that, then I'm probably looking at the blue. If I go beyond that, I'm the violet. See what I mean? Only a specific number. This was very difficult for Rutherford to swallow. Could you imagine? Anybody a lifeguard? I can swim. She's in training. <laughs> <laughs> Not my question. My great grandma <laughs> used to be a good swimmer. Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> That's just a random fact. <laughs> but I'm glad that you're <laughs> absolutely no filter to share whatever you like. Yeah, I just like you. You're trying to make people learn more about you. I'm trying to. Yeah. <laughs> I will, I will remember about your grandma. How about 
how about you, you're teaching, you're a, a lifeguard or you're, you're, you teach young children to uh, how to swim. <laughs> Um, because you don't have a good grandma, that, that <laughs> right? So you have to put your you put your child in to a swimming class, and the child comes up to you as a coach and says, "Excuse me, miss, but um, that's not how we do the front crawl. <laughs> we do the front crawl this way, right?" And all of a sudden, it's explained, and the kid explains it to the to the more senior adult, and the, and all of a sudden it's like, you know what? You're right. That is better. That is the way we should do it, right? And all of a sudden, I guess there's a decision to be made. And the decision is, as Rutherford, as his boss, do you accept your students work? Do you refute it and try and disprove it? Or do you accept it, right? And, and uh, it was a little difficult to accept. Uh, Rutherford should have known that he was right. But Bohr should have not been like some of my grade 12 students last semester. At the end of the school year, when I get this, so Mr. Roberts, I got a little problem. I need two more percent on my average. I've noted in Teach Assist how many marks I have lost here, there, and everywhere. And I believe you've marked me unfairly. And for that reason, I believe I get two more percent. I said, excuse me? Did you want to exit out of the set of doors and maybe knock and come in again and retry this? Because that is not working between us. That's not respectful. And I'll be the first person to say that I've made a mistake and try and correct it. This uh, bore had the big chip. I don't, <laughs> some students come through that door. I sometimes say, you know what? I don't know how you fit the ego through the door because it's like, who do you think you are? All that and a, and a box of chocolates, right? Like, so anyways, um, we did get, uh, we amended our relationship and uh, um, he did not get the 2%, but you know, we had a, a mutual agreement on some things and uh, you know, but Here's, here's what I want to say about that, and that is that Bohr, <laughs> oh, going back. Um, that Bohr could have dealt with it a lot better. 
He and Rutherford really did never see eye to eye afterwards. And I know that we draw Bohr-Rutherford diagrams, but they are not friends. <laughs> They're not, they don't, there's no love loss between Bohr and Rutherford. But the interesting thing is, hey, these 